Hello again, this is Pastor Ed Collins with North Christian Church. This is part 75 of The Lord is Our Confidence. Let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege to gather together, to break bread this way. That is the very bread of life, Father. Thank you so much for the goodness in our lives. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Uh, we don't deserve any of it, Father, truth be told, but... We're so grateful for your grace, your mercy, and the love that you just pour out onto our laps, the undeserving. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that are still hurting, that need comfort, uh, that in ways that only your comfort can provide. Uh, we pray that maybe that comfort come through one of us, uh, your will be done, uh, that we might be vessels of mercy, instruments of righteousness, even in the lives of others that we care about, that you call your own children. Father, we pray also for those in this world that are still lost, without hope, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this or a day whenever and whoever, whatever time folks are listening, Father, a time like this to rejoice in. What a blessing this is, Father. We just ask for blessings on this message and may it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this is part 75 of The Lord is Our Confidence. I really do encourage all of you, uh, if you've missed any of these messages, please, they're cumulative. Um, even, even Resurrection Sunday special uh, is integrated into the Spirit's curriculum, uh, as he likes to remind us over and over. Uh, speaking of uh, that message, I received a lot of good feedback from the Resurrection Sunday message, uh, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, especially during times like this when we don't interact face-to-face -face anymore. Um, I was thinking about the message, and it really was an interesting angle um, into the message itself, into that day. Um, I never really know, even uh, days in advance, um, what he's going to do for us through a message. But I thought it was an interesting angle. Uh, the Spirit's never asked me to to use the concept of leadership as a segue into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But as many of you wrote to me after the message, you understand now that he led us out of damnation. He led us out of our damnation. First to the grave with him. We'll cover this again uh, this time around. And then to the resurrection life in him. That's how he led us. Go to Galatians 2 verse 20. Galatians 2 20. We'll look at a passage written by Paul who spoke to this very leadership quality uh, that the Spirit uh, gave us on Sunday. Galatians 2 verse 20. What does it mean to be led not just to eternal life but to the grave first. What does it mean to die, to be buried with Christ? Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, put to death with him 
in other words. I have been crucified with Christ. I associate him uh, with him. I'm baptized into union with him. Therefore, as he goes, I go. As a believer, that's what Paul is writing about. As a believer, I have been crucified with Christ, put to death with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me give you the Amplified translation just to help out a bit. Galatians 2.20 up here on the board in the Amplified. I have been crucified with Christ. That is, in him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So when Jesus was here on earth, he was leading people to life in himself. That's the point. And there was a pathway to be followed. Remember, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father. No one gets to heaven even without him, without following him. So when Jesus was here on earth, he was leading people to life in himself. He was essentially saying to follow him all the way to the grave, to bury the old self with him through what the Bible calls the baptism of the Spirit. Go to Romans 6 verse 3. Romans 6 verse 3. Again, while he was here ministering uh, to his disciples, he was leading people and he was laying down the pathway, the way, if you want to call it, the way he called it. Uh, he was essentially saying to follow him all the way to the grave, to bury, to see the old self buried with him. Remember what Paul just wrote in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with him. I associate and I am identified with his death. Uh, again, we go all the way to bury the old self with him uh, in what the Bible calls the baptism of the Spirit. Romans 6.3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, saved, in other words, were baptized into his death, crucified with him, a la Galatians 2.20? Again, do you not know? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, that's something that happens at salvation proper. Positionally, right? We, uh, do you not know that uh, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized also into his death? In other words, we were crucified with him, a la Galatians 2.20. Up here on the board, baptized into his death. The term baptized here refers to identification with Christ in his death, to be spiritually immersed in him, in other words. That's what baptism in this sense means. I know many of you uh, understand that water baptism isn't the only type of baptism in the Bible, but for those of you who may not, they, you know, uh, we have to recognize that there are always new believers, and I recognize that there are always new believers uh, that might hear this type of message and and not understand. So this is for you. There's a different kind, a different type of baptism in the Bible. And it means uh, what I wrote on the board, the term baptized refers to identification with Christ in his death 
to be spiritually immersed in him. So this is for you. I just wanted to give you a heads up if you weren't aware of that. Again, look at Romans 6, 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Look at this, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Do you see this whole leadership thing going again? Uh, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, we also enjoy the resurrection life. We go to the grave with him and we come out of the grave with him. We call that the resurrection life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So that was the, the gist of Sunday's special message that through his work on the cross and then overcoming the grave, Jesus has led his own out of death and into life. That's what we mean by the resurrection life. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Look at verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. This is the, the mystery, if you would, that is uh, unfolded in the New Testament. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The only way we're going to live is if we're resurrected, you see? So this forever and ever. So this means that being baptized into union with Christ at salvation, we are destined for eternal life with him. We already have that now. Uh, I've taught you that many, many times in the past. We are to live in that eternal life now. But there's a, a resurrection forthcoming for we believers uh, in the future that speaks to the eternal state with him. Anyways, as Holy Scripture teaches us, we have to become overcomers with him prior to any of this actually happening. We have to partake, in other words, with what uh, he did to death itself. As we read on Sunday, Jesus had to conquer death itself in order to reign victorious. So here we have a picture of that victory in Christ that every believer shares. Look at verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, listen, this is the great thing. This is our blessed hope, my friends. So you also, being baptized into union with him, you see it? So you also, this is our blessed hope, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, do you remember, most of you probably remember when I taught you about what it means to be, quote, dead to sin. It's kind of a, frankly, a quirky phrase, right? Because it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense until you get a little more context around it. So let me give you that up here on the board, dead to sin. Think about this phrase 
from the perspective of sin. So put yourself in the seat of sin, looking back at you, now a believer. Sin used to have full control over you, right? Not anymore. You're dead to sin as a believer. As far as sin can see, you are an inanimate object. Now you're dead to it. That's the perspective. So think about this phrase, dead to sin, from the perspective of sin. A believer is no longer, quote, alive in that realm anymore. Just like we were born dead from God's perspective, once saved, we are, quote, alive to God in Christ Jesus, but dead to sin. You see the tables turn. Dead to sin, a.k.a. sin cannot control us anymore. We are like inanimate objects. That's what it means to be dead to sin. Now, just for your own uh, reading purposes, your own study, if you read the book of Romans from end to end, you'll realize that Romans 6 verse 11, where this phrase occurs, is the launching pad for what Paul writes about and defends in the remainder of the book. This is what he does in the remainder, excuse me, of the book. Let's read it again, Romans 6, 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So on Sunday, in a nutshell, what the Spirit did, the Spirit took us on a little journey to survey what our fearless leader has done for us. He didn't just go to the cross. He also went to the grave. And then he was resurrected from the grave. And now he's never going to die again. That's the pattern that we follow being uh, members of his body, being uh, placed uh, into union with him by the baptism of the Spirit. So that's what, the, that's what the, the Spirit did for us on Sunday with that wonderful message. He just took us on a little journey to survey what our fearless leader has done for us. Through him, then, we are, quote, dead to sin, and quote, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Could there be, honestly, could there be any sweeter words spoken to amplify our Resurrection Sunday message? Really, through him, we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. The visual is that we have a leader who cut a pathway out for those he truly loves. And this is what he said. I alluded to it earlier, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have to be placed, uh, baptized into union with him so that you can follow his lead. On Sunday, we pivoted on this visual from the words of Jesus up here on the board where he says in several places in the New Testament, follow me. Pretty straightforward, right? Matthew 9.9, Mark 2.14, Luke 5.27, John 1.43, Jesus said, follow me. Mark 8.34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So we have to look at leadership this way. When, when our Lord says, follow me, we have to look at leadership even in a very practical sense to understand what the Spirit's been trying to say to us up here on the board. We simplify it down to a very 
uh, easy to understand movement, if you want to call it that. Because that's what leaders do. They, they lead people from point A to point B. A leader leads. That's what he or she does. Leadership implies movement, whether in thought or action. So when Jesus said, you know, quote, follow me, or you cannot be my disciple, where was he proposing we were all going? And I gave you the hint. I gave you point A on Sunday. We're all born spiritually dead. That's point A. Uh, where was he leading us? Where was he proposing this would uh, lead us from? We were all born spiritually dead, bound to death itself. The Spirit asked us then to step way back and just dwell on two things. Clear our minds, right? Just going to shake our hands and just focus on two things. Death, point A. Life, point B. There's no way to eternal life without being led by Jesus through the resurrection. You have to go to the grave to be born again. So hence Paul's famous words in Galatians 2.20, quote, I have been crucified with Christ. And then also his words in Romans 6.4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus made this incredible point with Martha, as we noted. Go to John 11.25. John 11.25. I'm going to get a sip of my water here. John 11.25. Hopefully you aren't suffering so bad from, the, from allergies. Uh, I think they're spiking around here at this point. Uh, they certainly have affected me and my voice, so I apologize if I'm raspy. John 11:25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall, uh, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Fair question for all of us, right? Think about this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Only the conqueror could ever say such a thing with such confidence. Think about that. Think about what that would have been like to be present in that moment and have him say that out loud. I am the resurrection and the life. Only the conqueror could ever say such a thing with that kind of confidence. And as those of us uh, who've been baptized into union with him, we too are able to share in his confidence. Hence, part 75 of the Lord is our confidence. Go to Revelation 1, verse 17. Revelation 1, verse 17. Again, all of this ties neatly into our now 75-part series, the Lord is our confidence. That's all he's been doing for 75 parts now. He's just building our confidence, walking around the rose bush, right? Saying you have everything to be confident about. You have every reason to hold on to the hope that's in you. Revelation 1.17, and he's saying, let me prove it to you through the word of God. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. Here we go. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. 
and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now that's frankly, let's face it, it's difficult sometimes to put our arms around such a concept as a person being, you know, master of death itself. Most people, uh, most Christians uh, even, are petrified of death. However, with the truth, we know that death is nothing but a promotion for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what he's been encouraging us with, right? He's our leader. He's um, proving to us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but through him. So for us, death is just sort of a, 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 a stopping point, if you would, a thing that we all have to go through. We're on the other side. Uh, we have the greater thing waiting for us. So with the truth, we know that death is nothing but a promotion for those in Christ Jesus. Now, before we head on back to our primary course of study, I would like to grab the highlight reel from 1 Corinthians 15, a most prolific discourse on the topic of resurrection in the Bible. Let's do that now. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, 14. We'll just jump right in. We'll catch the highlight reel, and then we'll get back to business in the Lord is our confidence. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. Again, don't don't uh, miss the value of tying all this together with the Resurrection Sunday special message. That message had everything to do with our confidence in Christ Jesus because it spoke to him directly as our leader. You have to have confidence in your leaders uh, for those are the ones that you're following after all. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life, only we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Again, he is our leader. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jump forward to verse 54. Jump forward to 54. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brother, uh, my beloved brother, brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So glad 
honestly so glad you are all here with me on Sunday to experience our Lord's love for us. Such a wonderful way to think about all the work that he's accomplished for us. Not, you know, and not just on the cross, but also overcoming the grave. Not just on the cross, not to belittle that, but also overcoming the grave. Just think about that. All right, with that said, we need to get back to where we left off last Thursday. With the Lord is our confidence. Again, we're on part 75 at this point. We departed on a concept that we received in both a blog and a couple of messages. Let's begin with some perspective to get us resituated. Go to Ephesians 5, verse 20. Ephesians 5, verse 20. And we're just getting back to the Lord is our confidence. Ephesians 5, 20. And these, this particular verse spawned a blog and uh, was sort of a headliner in a couple of our messages, including Thursdays. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's the blog excerpt. It was from the blog titled, The Beauty of Submission. When believers submit to one another, we are revealing the fruit of the Spirit. Not natural for us to do it. Therefore, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Being, quote, filled with Him, a la Ephesians 5.18. That's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. When we abide in his, this godly submissiveness, we perform acts of obedience, which pleases the Lord. Our eyes are set on Christ, and therefore, since his is set on others, our eyes, therefore, are also set on others. We esteem others even more important than ourselves, and that's what's pleasing to the Lord, because that's what grace is. We'll get to that in a moment. Again, verse 21 of Ephesians 5, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we noted last week, this is about abiding in his grace economy. This is the way he does, this is the way grace works, my friends. This is about abiding in his grace economy instead of the world's, whose currency is creature credit. Up here on the board, the second excerpt from that blog, The Beauty of Submission, was the beauty of submission is that it is a privilege of ours to abide in bringing glory to God. It also reveals our love for our Lord. With Christ's perspective on the matter, we are set free. Stop the presses. Wait a minute. So we submit to others. We live for others and we're set free? Yes. Jesus Christ himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. What do you have to give more of than you? what's What's greater to give than your life? Right? Greater love is no one than this that he lays down his life for his friends. The greatest thing you can give is your life. That's what he's talking about. That's the beauty of submission. Again, the idea, verse 20 of Ephesians 5, giving thanks always. Be grateful you have the opportunity, in other words, to submit this way. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, please think about this for a moment. Think about the grace economy of God and how he enacts his will 
through others. And that other person might be you. But think of both sides of the equation because we're thinking about an economy, givers and receivers, receivers and givers. Think about the grace economy of God and how he enacts his will through others. And think of a perfect example right now. Think of this ministry in your life. Think about it. You're being fed. Why? Because I'm submitting to you. I'm submitting to feed you. I'm laying down my life for you. For some of you, who knows what garbage you might be listening to right now if you hadn't been humbled to the point of submission to this particular pulpit. I don't know. And I'm speaking to all of you at this point, not just to quote newbies. Some of you were in quite a spiritual rut. How do I know this? You've told me. Some of you were in quite a spiritual rut five, what, 10 years ago? I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe more. And through this ministry, you've been set free. I think I've shared this with you in the past, but I'll do so again so that you're edified by it. Most of you remember Bill Johnson. Bill told me before he died that he was so very grateful for what the good Lord had done for him and his beautiful wife, Lois, through this ministry. And I'm taking no credit whatsoever. I know who I am. I'm as wretched as the next person. This is not about Ed Collins. This is about this ministry. I'm just a vessel, you see. And that's what he told me. He was so grateful. He told me that he had such freeing clarity that he threw out over 90% of what he thought he knew about freedom in Christ. He threw it right out the window. Everything he thought he knew, everything that was binding him up, everything that kept him from that freedom, go to Galatians 5.1 afterwards, right? That freedom that Christ set us free to enjoy. He threw 90% of what he thought he knew out the window. I swear to you that those are the words uh, that he said to me. The other individual is Frank Westcott, who just passed away not that long ago. Many of you recall him. He told me before he died that he learned more about truth in the last three years of his life than he had in the previous 40. Put that into perspective. More in the last three years of his life than he had in the previous 40. And you know what? He had never read his Bible as much as he was during those, those uh, last three years either. Those are not my words, my friends. Those are God-fearing men. And again, I am but a vessel that God has used to his glory. It's not about me. Why do I say these things? Well, simple. For your own sake. Please don't take acts of grace for granted. We are entitled to nothing. For example, God gave you this message, but he didn't have to, right? Furthermore, certain people are involved in keeping this ministry afloat. It's not just me. There's still a building that's waiting for us when, we, when this is all over. That, doesn't, that takes work. There's uh, individuals behind the scenes helping me get podcasts posted. Uh, the, the, the treasurer is still working. The secretary is still working. The deacons are still working. Certain people are involved in keeping this ministry afloat. God is pleased because they do so, quote, out of reverence for Christ 
Ephesians 5.21. That's how God's economy works. Through grace, that's how it works. When we submit to each other in reverence to Christ, Allah Ephesians 5.21, we become, we become, if I was there, I'd say, say it with me, we become God's grace and love in action. Remember, love can't help but express itself. If we've got Christ's love abiding in us, we are going to express it. And we're going to express it in terms of grace. And that's going to infuse us into God's grace economy. When we submit to each other in reverence to Christ, we become God's grace and love in action. As the spirits taught us in the past, we become like conduits of grace. It flows through us. We don't, we don't hog it. We don't store it up. It flows through us. That's our mindset. Use me, Lord. That's our prayer, right? And as the gristmill analogy went about, I don't know, a month or two or so ago, as grace flows through us, we are blessed. Churning happens. We mature. We are sanctified. We're moved and we're changed by the process itself. We don't hoard it. We let it pass through us, just like a gristmill. Here's the point from last time. We don't just imagine grace. We experience it. Grace is not something that's withheld until heaven, my friends. Grace is right now. We live in an economy. Remember, we're not, we're not of this world. We're just in it. We don't just imagine grace. We experience it. It flows through us. God gives grace to who? The humble. And he's opposed to the arrogant. So if you want that grace to flow through you, be humble. Listen to messages like this. Here's our encouragement on this point also. Go to Colossians 1 verse 13. Colossians 1 verse 13. Colossians 1 13. Just some more encouragement on this movement. Even echoes back to Sunday's message about leadership. Colossians 1.13 reads, He has delivered us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In other words, he led us from point A to point B. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, he is the preeminent one. This has been some very welcomed big picture perspective, hasn't it? It really has, remembering that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How's that for big picture perspective? How's that get you thinking uh, in this moment? And as the Spirit's been teaching us, it's this big picture perspective that ultimately sets us free. Remember Peter's words? Go to 1 Peter 1.3. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. It's this perspective, this 
big picture perspective. We don't just imagine grace. We experience it. God wants us to experience it. He wants us to be conduits because that's what's pleasing to him. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see that? We don't, we're not born again until we go to the grave with him, until we're crucified with him. He leads us to the grave and then out of the grave to the resurrection life. So he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's our inheritance. It's yours if you're saved, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation, a deliverance ready to be revealed in the last time. Think about that. A living hope, my friends. That's confidence for you. And it's based on historical facts about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Step back again. When the Bible commands that we believe in the gospel. And remember, the gospel isn't just about the cross, it's also about the resurrection. When the Bible commands that we believe the gospel, it does so on the veracity of the saving grace God has provided to enable salvation itself, to move you from an estate of death to an estate of life. That's what salvation means. You're delivered from the throes of spiritual death to spiritual life. That's what salvation is, and that's how we ought to think about it. In other words, God can command that we believe the gospel because it is perfectly available to every human being. He'd be unjust to command something that he didn't first meet with grace. This takes us now to a recurring principle throughout the last few series, not just the 75 part one, the last few series, even more even, the Spirit's given us from the pulpit. One word, obedience. Obedience. All of this sounds great, doesn't it? But it's all for naught without obedience. The very first act of obedience, this is why the Spirit brought it up, for any human being, the very first act of obedience is obeying the command to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If you don't, you will remain in your sins without life, without hope. And those are the things where confidence is completely absent. Which is why, look around. We can say confidently that a person who remains in sin remains in the realm of spiritual death. And that, my friends, look around is the source of fear we see in the eyes of those who lack our hope, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. They lack confidence, and therefore they live a life of fear. They are also the ones who fear death. Think of all that we've just been taught in the last week alone about Christ overcoming death, and therefore in him we too become overcomers. They don't have that confidence. They don't have that hope. They are the ones who fear death. To Death to them is, is an abyss. We don't 
we don't fear it because we've been baptized into union with the very one who has already overcome it. So, in terms of obedience, the first command is to obey the gospel. After that, we believers, because we're still haunted by the fact that we're stuck with this body of death, as Paul would say in Romans uh, 7.24, this means that we must continue to obey the word of God. We must continue to obey the word of God. Salvation isn't just, uh, oh, excuse me, salvation is just the beginning of obedience that leads to freedom in Christ. We ended last time with this. If you want deliverance from fear, then obey the word of God. That goes out to some of you who maybe are have been afraid because of the coronavirus, because of the shutdowns, because of the, the fear-mongering and the hysteria and the ridiculousness of the media. This goes out to you. If you want deliverance from fear, then obey the word of God. So, for we believers, again, obedience begins with taking in the word of God. That's what it means to obey the word of God. The preeminent the preeminent command is to take the word in. This is the undeniable truth that the Spirit keeps reiterating, regardless of the doctrine in view. This is not the first time I've brought up this particular slide up here on the board, Proverbs 4.7. I give you the Amplified. The beginning of wisdom is get skillful and godly wisdom. It is preeminent. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. Actively seek spiritual discernment mature comprehension and logical interpretation. Again, preeminent means uh, surpassing all others, the greatest thing you can do, in other words. Proverbs 9.10 in the Amplified up here on the board. The reverent fear of the Lord, that is worshiping him and regarding him as truly awesome, is the beginning and preeminent part of wisdom. Fear him. Take in his word. That's the beginning of wisdom. It's starting point and its essence, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding and spiritual insight. Okay, I've got to close it pretty soon. So, um, but honestly, this has been a really nice segue back to our primary course of study from our Resurrection Sunday special. I hope you agree. And I want to uh, leave you with some final thoughts about having confidence in the Lord as we sort of ascend out of the mine shaft. That's what we're doing. We've been doing that for quite some time now, uh, plucking sort of old memories off the wall from old messages. Uh, he's just weaving the whole thing together for us, which is so beautiful. But I do want to leave you with some final thoughts to get us resituated, to get us back to where we've been. Uh, and furthermore, why we ought to obey his command to keep taking in the word of God. Here's why. Because God is in control. I want you to I want you to really think about this. Obedience and God is in control. Obedience knowing that God is in control. So, if he is in control and he is, then his commands are perfect. Repeat that to yourself often. If he's really in control, and he is, then his commands are perfect. Again, God is in control. 
Our running example of this has been with Job. Go quickly to Job 2 verse 8. We'll catch a highlight reel here as well. Again, we're just trying to get situated, resituated. Job 2 verse 8. And we'll point something out to you with the account of Job. Remember, Job was a blameless and upright one. God handed him over, except for death itself, to Satan to be basically tortured, for lack of a better term, to put him um, to the test, put his faith to the test. Job 2, verse 8. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself. This was after he had lost so much. To scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Your integrity. What integrity might that be? That God is good and God is in control. That God is good and God is in control. We tend to lose sight of that when we're under pressure, when we're under stress. We tend to lose sight of it and we start doubting the effectiveness the veracity of his commands. Remember, if he is in control, then his commands are perfect. Even under temptation, like this, where his wife says, do you still hold fast to all of that? To your integrity? Curse God and die. Verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. <laughs> foolish, meaning without knowledge, without wisdom. What's the preeminent feature of wisdom? Fear God and acquire it. What is he saying to his wife? You speak as one of the foolish women would speak, someone without any wisdom. That's your problem. Shall we receive from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. What a wonderful example. Why didn't he? Well, because apparently Job never forgot that God has a purpose for everything, that God's in control. Go to Job 121, where we catch his attitude. Job 121. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave? Okay. And the Lord has taken away? Okay. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Again, keep repeating this to yourself. God is in control. So here's... <laughs> Here's the challenging question that the Spirit seems unwilling to date to let go of. And it obviously has a lot to do with the condition of our world right now, with the shutdowns and all this kind of thing. What happens when you want something and God says no? If God is in control, what happens when you want something and God says no. Like nowadays, of course, where our little lives of, you know, entitled Americans has been turned upside down. How do you react when God says no? You can't have that thing anymore. Or you can't do this or that anymore. The principle of spirit put before us previously is actually a secular proverb. You don't really know someone until you say no to them. And there's some truth in that. You don't really know someone until you say 
no to them. God said no to Job, and look at his testimony. God says no to us, and we grumble and complain to him. We have to elevate our thinking, my friends, our perspectives, in order to benefit from seeing our lives and this world through a godly lens. Up here on the board, applying the proper lens. We should never think about Jesus Christ through an earthly lens. And we, when I say Jesus Christ here, I mean the Word even. He is the Logos. Remember that. We should never think about Jesus Christ through an earthly lens. If we apply an earthly lens to him, it follows that we will apply an earthly scale of value, values to the things of God. Again, I've got to close now and just reflecting on what the Spirit's trying to get us back, to, where the Spirit's taking us. As we emerge from the mine shaft, uh, we will begin to catch glimpses of where we've been. And as we do so, we'll begin to see more and more the curriculum the Spirit's had us on for some time now. For example, here's one last peek at the wall as we ascend. I want to leave you with this, this, quote, life is good attitude. We spent a few messages on this, if you recall. Life is good attitude. It's transcendent. Life is transcendent, right? It's not transactional. This life is good attitude. It's transcendent. It's not transactional. Life is good means life is good. Whether someone just kicked you in the shin or not. <laughs> life is good. God allowed it. God ordained it. You must have had to go through some form of suffering, even physically. <coughs> okay, I'm getting all excited and coughing. You must have had to go through that thing. You must have to be going through this thing right now we're all going through as a society. Why? Because God's got a plan. And if you want... To have a life is good attitude, uh, regardless of circumstances like Paul used to describe, you have to have a transcendent attitude. Don't base your happiness, don't base your attitude on transactions. Well, today bad things happen, so I'm have a bad attitude. Well, today good things happen, so I'll have a good attitude. That's garbage. Transcend it. This life is good attitude is what gives our lives purpose. It ratchets us into a life filled with joy and peace and grace orientation. Think about how we began this message with God's grace economy. It ratchets us into a life filled with joy and peace. Greater love is known this. They lay down his life for his friends, right? It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Those are the words of Jesus Christ ratchet into submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. That's the life is good attitude. You start living for others and you forget about your own pettiness, your own entitlements. You forget about them because now you're concerned about other people. You see, it ratchets us. This life is good attitude is what gives us purpose. We start living for others instead of for ourselves. It ratchets us into a life filled with joy and peace. And it allows us to get up in the morning the way Jesus did, with confidence that we have purpose and hope and life. Go to John 4.31 quickly, please. John 4.31. 
Again, this life is good attitude. It's transcendent, not transactional. Don't do that to yourself. Don't wait for the day to tell you, to dictate to you that you should have a good attitude this day. You tell life you're going to have a good attitude. John 4.31 Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? <laughs> Jesus said to them, My food, I love this so much, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what fills me up. That's what gives my day purpose. That's what feeds me. That's what sustains me. That's what nourishes me. Do you see it all? You're not an emaciated fool. You're filled up with doing the will of him who sent you to accomplish his work here on earth. So much to think about, my friends. Let's close again. The life is good attitude. It's transcendent, not transactional. Don't do that thing to yourself and allow life to dictate to you otherwise. This is the attitude that goes to the person whose confidence is in the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us a message like this, a message that truly is meant to set us free, Father. And thank you for always giving us proof in the Word of God. Thank you for giving us wisdom, Father. Thank you for being so faithful to us and all of your promises, Father. We know we're slow learners, and we're grateful for your patience as well. We just ask for your blessings as we take these things back to the privacy of our own souls and back to our homes, and then your will be done out to a world that needs truth so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.